Michael Watson, joined by Sarah Lee, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. Normally, when the government is sued, the public expects the government to defend itself. But what if the government doesn't defend itself because it wants the same policy ends as the activists who are suing it? Then you get sue and settle, a practice that U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, Republican of Iowa, says is used by federal agencies and like-minded special interest groups to impose new and burdensome regulations on businesses and communities without sufficient public notice or participation. Joining us to discuss sue and settle tactics and how Congress can push back against them is Karen Harnett, a longtime lawyer and advocate for small business interests. Uh, Karen, before we begin, could you tell uh, our listeners about your background and work in this space? Correct. So um, for 20 years, I ran uh, the Legal Center for National Federation of Independent Business, a small business um, advocacy group. And so we saw um, a lot of this activity, you know, as we'll, I'm sure, talk about in the environmental space, um, but also with laws like the Americans with Disabilities Act. So um, it's very pernicious. And since small business owners are um disproportionately affected by regulation and mandates coming out of the government, um, they are, are hurt the most by it. So how does sue and settle work? Like, what is it? Right. So you actually did a nice job um, at the top. So basically what happens is um, it there are, there are certain statutes on the books that allow for what are called citizen suits. Um, a lot of these are in the environmental space, like the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act. and um, But there are also, like I mentioned, the Americans with Disabilities Act and the Fair Housing um, Act that have these provisions. And what they allow for is citizens to sue when the agency isn't doing what they think they should be doing to enforce those statutes. And um, a lot of these suits actually are done when agencies miss statutory deadlines for action. And um, for example, in the Endangered Species Act sphere with the Department of Interior, the agency really is supposed to, if they get a petition to have a new critter listed as endangered, they're supposed to um, respond within 90 days. And sometimes what you've seen is certain groups go in and will file many petitions, overwhelm the agency almost with what, um, you know, with new requests where it's impossible for them to meet those deadlines. And then they go in and sue um, the, the citizen group, um, will go in on, and sue the agency for noncompliance, the agency um, many times is has the same um, end goals as the group suing, and so they'll negotiate a settlement that um, works for them, but ends up imposing new mandates on, you know, everybody else. You know, business owners and even Americans um, are affected. Everyday Americans are affected can, by can this. You, can you give some um, concrete so examples where this has happened uh, and some of the effects that have that there were? Right. So um, let's see. Uh, I, I would say, I'm sorry, I'm thinking. Yeah. So the Wildlife Guardians, uh, Wild, I'm sorry, it's called Wild Earth Guardians and the Center for Biological Diversity are two groups that do this a lot. So they had proposed 
um, that the, uh, 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 I'm sorry, um, the Fish and Wildlife Service expand Endangered Species Act to include more than 720 additional species. When the, uh, the agency didn't do that because it's a huge task, um, the groups, the two groups sued. The negotiated agreement um, that was finally um, determined between or negotiated between the agency and those two groups ended up using up of 75% of the agency's funds for ESA. So, you know, uh, Congress appointed, you know, appropriates money for Endangered Species Act enforcement because of this one lawsuit, 75% of the appropriated monies for that one law um, ended up going for this settlement, not for anything else that the agency might have done. So in addition to tying up those resources, it's also through these lawsuits without any um, input from anybody else, right, Not no notice and comment, no normal rulemaking procedure, you're having these groups not just sue and settle, but they're also directing the financial and um, resource pr priorities for the agency, even beyond what Congress has requested or the agency, you know, has said they're going to do. Sir? Uh, yeah, so I'm interested in uh, sort of Grassley's legislation um, raising, it sounds like uh, the press release wants to both raise awareness that this is going on. This is definitely something I don't think most Americans know is happening. But also, he, he kind of talks about in the press release out of Grassley's office, he talks about how this is a, it, it, it sort of empowers the regulatory state, right? Like the regulatory regime, which you just touched on because it goes around the legislative process where people have the, um, interested parties have the ability to comment on some of this. So can you, and, and this notion of the expanded uh, kind of agency power, uh, the regulatory regime in the federal government is a huge topic of conversation right now. It's in, it's informing our presidential discussions. Who's the be, who's going to be the best um, president? Who wants to grow the federal government? Who wants to shrink it? Who says they want to shrink it but doesn't really want to? How does does that does this play into all of that? It sounds like it does. Can you can you speak a little bit about that? Absolutely. This is very pernicious, as the senator has noted, because it's all happening behind closed doors. As we have seen over the last, I would say, at least two decades, Congress isn't doing much, right? And so the agencies are really um, stepping in to fill that void. So in many instances, they're doing it the traditional way, where they propose a rule, all of us get to comment, um, they issue the final rule, and then if we think they acted outside of the bounds, which we are thinking more and more, right, um, with different laws, then they are, you know, will sue. Um, but all of that's done at least transparently through this notice and rulemaking process. These lawsuits are done behind closed doors. Nobody even knows about them. Um, and so um, at the end of the day, nobody knows that now there are 720 new um, endangered species, right, that are, that are listed. I want to ask a result. question based right off of that. So you go, okay, there's this mm -hmm. agreement between these activist groups and the government that there are now all these new endangered species. What does that mean to the listener at home? Like, what is the public policy effects of now we have all these new endangered species? Right. So what you've seen is um, that issue, I think, has 
particularly been problematic for, you know, folks on the Western, in the Western states. Um, there was testimony at a hearing um, several years ago of an Idaho rancher um, where she, you know, had her cattle that, you know, they, you know, get permits to graze on public land. But because of these ESA de designations, she lost 28, you know, allotments of land, which I get is a lot of, of land for her cows to feed on. Um, or she would be put in limbo during the litigation. Um, and also her testimony indicated that, you know, she's a fourth generation rancher, but when you've got these severe restrictions on land use because of Endangered Species Act or, you know, an environmental law, um, because those are obviously, or because those also are implicated many times through this, then you've got land tied up that people can't use to do business, right? And um, she said, you know, look, for new ranchers, they can't enter the space because there's not enough land to go around to graze these cattle, right? And so it, it really has um, a very negative effect on on just normal Americans, especially, you know, small business owners. Yeah, I actually have a question too, since we keep talking about it, it's, it's heavily used in the environmental space. I know you said the Americans with Disabilities Act as well is something that pops up here, but um, in the environmental space, is it reasonable to assume that since these things are happening and has been and have been happening, that there are powerful environmental interests behind some of these suits that are seeking to have the agency settle uh, and impose a new rule in their favor? Is that, do you think, I, I don't want to um, speculate and say that's definitely happening, but it seems like it's probably ripe for that to happen. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely um, set up for collusion. Okay. <laughs> and I would argue that that is what's happening. And what's even more um, uh, disturbing is uh, these a lot of these groups are getting um, lining their pockets as a result of this. They're not just getting the po policies they want. They're getting dollars. Um, wildlife, uh, Wild Earth Guardians, for example, in 2015 had received 500,000 in grants from the federal government. 2016, 800,000. They're still suing at this time. The National Resource Defense Council is another big one that does these. They have, so, so, they got so wait, so wait a minute. The government, one of so, so Wild Earth was suing the government and then while they were suing the government, they were also getting government grants? Correct. Correct. Um, and also national, and then also you've got the attorney's fees piece because Apparently, six, there was one of these suits that lasted about six years, and the National Resource Defense Council ended up um, getting about 40% of attorney's fees um, from the government, or $2 million in fees off of that one case. So it really, they're, they're getting their policy, and they're also getting financial benefit. I'm not saying on the, on the grant that that's necessarily tied to the lawsuits that they're bringing, but... They are receiving grant money. They are suing the agency, and they are getting grant money. If that makes sense. <laughs> so you're talking about the, you know, the groups on that side of these lawsuits. Grassley's, um, and we'll link this this press release. Grassley's press release for uh, re-upping the Sunshine for Regulatory Decrees and Settlements Act of 2023. I think it's a 
it's the new version of an act that they've been they've been trying to get out there. Um, he actually talks about it from the agency's regulatory ambitions, as if the as if one of the movers of some of these lawsuits are the actual agencies uh, seeking to impose rules. What do you make of that? Well, I mean, look, there is a lot of, um, as we've seen with the swamp, (laughs) um, there's a lot of revolving doors, right? It's not just, you know, going in and out of Congress and then going and making your money on K Street. You know, there's a lot of people that come to town with a specific um, policy agenda um, they might work at EPA, right? And then they le- they decide to leave EPA and go work for one of these nonprofits. And those lines of communication and all those relationships that they've built with that agency continue. And so it is not um, uh, beyond the pale to think that they are having those conversations and looking for that, which is why, you know, let's prove, that's why Grassley's bill I think is so fantastic because look, if there's nothing to hide, fine. Can we at least do some transparency here? But when you've got it all going on behind closed doors, nobody really knows what conversations are happening between who. And um, if this isn't, they aren't using these groups groups to push where they can't accomplish it on their own as an agency. Okay. Mike, what do you think? Do you think that this is, um, and I'm just curious what your opinion of this is. Do you think that this is something that, um, I mean, who's really benefiting from all of this? Certainly not the Amer- their average American. And, you know, the, I mean, I mean the- obviously, the, obviously the advocacy groups, um, uh, which is why, you know, they employ this tactic. Uh, I, rem- I remember back during the Trump administration, the Trump administration tried to put a block on, at least while it was in power, uh, tried to limit the... Uh, discretion of the agencies to uh, engage in these sort of collusive litigation tactics. I mean, you know, whatever you think of how the regulatory state is quote unquote supposed to work, uh, how law is supposed to be made in this country, uh, you know, lawyers for an advocacy group and lawyers for a government that for an administration that align with the advocacy group sitting in a back room you know, making an agreement that they're going to put before a judge, uh, you know, doesn't seem like, doesn't seem like James Madison's constitution. Uh, and and it, it, it doesn't seem fair to any standard of fair play that we might have in, you know, democratic deliberation. Karen, you, you want to talk about that? Yeah, no, I agree. And it also, honestly, is it just, I wouldn't, I'd go even beyond the agencies. I think there's certain um, legislators that like this because they um, are they get the result they want without having their hands dirty, right? If somebody doesn't like what happens here, um, it's just everybody gets to avoid accountability um, from Congress on down through the legislature or on down through the agency um, officials, and that is just not the way to run a railroad. I mean, that is, that is absolutely not what the founders thought. I don't think they would have ever envisioned that you would, you know, especially when you look at litigation, litigation itself is supposed to be adversarial. Yet as Michael spoke at the very beginning of this, many times this is very non-adversarial. It's, it's, Hey, let's, what, what can we do here, you know, to make this work for all of us? And, and it's just not, um, 
it doesn't have that push-pull even at the judiciary. I mean, take away, you know, the administrative law and, and con- congressional oversight, even the way courts are supposed to work, this is, is um, irregular. Yeah, it reminds me of the um, saying that people that work in politics for a while um, will hear this or they'll see it written. And if you don't, if you, if you don't really study our political system very closely, you might miss it, but it kind of reminds me of the like gridlock is good thing, right? Like the, the, the checks and balances, the adversarial relationship that, that these things are supposed to have, that's actually a good thing. It's not bad. Right. Right. And and just on the bigger picture, you know, one stat that um, I came upon is there's been some research that the American for Legislative Exchange Council and the Chamber have done on this. And um, between the two of them, they had engaged that just EPA alone had done uh, 48 to 60 sue and settle cases from 2009 to 2012, just a three year period. In that three year period, that litigation resulted in more than 100 new regulations and more than $100 million in compliance costs with those regulations. Again, these are all regulations done outside of notice and comment, done through this backdoor sue-and-settle process. So I know you've mentioned uh, Wild Earth Guardians uh, and Center for Biological Diversity. Are there any other organizations that are... uh, frequently involved in this uh in this space that our listeners may need to know about honestly those are the main ones that i have found but i am confident there are others and then in the americans with disabilities act space what you've seen there is cottage industries cropping up attorneys that literally just make their money on trying to find americans with disabilities act violations bringing those lawsuits and many times extorting the business owner saying, we saw that your um, guardrail in your uh, bathroom was a quarter of an inch off. If you do not um, pay us X amount by, you know, 30 days, we are going to sue you. And they, that X amount they design purposely of, oh, they're going to pay it because they don't want to pay the legal fees that we're going to give. They don't even care if you make the change to your, your bathroom or not. They're now doing it with websites. Um, that are not, um, you know, um, user-friendly for um, disabled Americans. And somebody will just be sitting in their um, basement, um, looking at websites all day, trying to find these violations, and then shaking down these businesses. It really is outrageous. I'm glad you mentioned the attorneys, because we've wit- we've actually done some work on that. Some of these uh, sort of white shoe law firms that take these kinds of cases, and they make hand over fist, um, we did it in in relation to consumer sort of um, you know mass tort lawsuits, but the people that are they're suing on behalf of actually don't make don't actually get any of the the payout. The attorneys make most of it, and then these new regulatory rules are made um, outside of the the legislative process. It's kind of an ugly cycle. Yes, it again the winners are the groups that you know want their. Um, agenda set forward and also the attorneys that are bringing the suits for them. Um, and it just, it really, um, again, is just not um, appropriate. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm just so hopeful that we could get some transparency. You know, I also should say that this sadly is not just a federal pro- problem. It does occur in states and localities. And there you're seeing, you know, um, negotiated settlements that end up 
you know, determining how a bridge is built or where it's built or all manner of different things. And Wisconsin, during um, Scott Walker's uh, governorship, did um, actually pass legislation to do similar, provide for similar protections like the Grassley Bill would at the federal level. So I guess in addition to the sort of raising awareness and then if there, if there were to be congressional intervention, is there anything else that can be done uh, to push back on this or to, uh, you know, make clear to the, make clear maybe to people what the costs of these sorts of collusive litigation is? Yeah. I mean, I think honestly it is things like this. I mean, I just feel like it's education. I, I do think we have an opportunity, as I think Sarah mentioned earlier, that the American public is starting to realize that all these new rules and restrictions that are being imposed on them on a daily basis are not necessarily coming out of Congress, that there is this thing called the administrative state. It's gotten way too big and they get to do basically whatever they want without much, you know, pushback from the American public. So I do think that we're entering a new phase where the public could actually understand this more and be um, more outraged because that's that's when you're going to get these bills like um, Grassley's approved. Because as you mentioned, Michael, you know, Trump and um, like at the EPA, Scott Pruitt under him um, had directives saying, no, we're not doing this anymore. But the second you get a new president, that um, there, that goes poof, right? It's that, that, it's, re- that, that directive is no longer. Yeah. And so you really need Congress to step in and say no more. And the best way to get Congress to do that is get their constituents to call and say no more. And, and so we need to get people to understand that this is happening and why they should care because it's hurting their businesses. It's hurting our energy um, industry. You know, we are complaining about high gas prices and What's happening to energy production in this country? You know, there's another big example of how litigation over in Cal- out in California had shut down hydraulic fracturing um, uh, for, I guess, I don't even know that it ever got restarted because a sue and settlement agreement or sue and settle agreement said EPA is going to study this more before it lets any more of these permits or these permits be used to do such frack, fracking, sorry, fracking. And so, um, uh, you know, that is also playing into our energy independence, you know, issues that we're fighting here in the country. So, uh, Karen, before we let you go, is there anything else that you guys are working on that you'd like to promote? Um, yeah, I would just say it is, um, one just piece of interest is the Supreme Court is going to be, I guess, indirectly, um, dealing with this issue next year. There's a case called Atchison Hotels versus Laufer that deals with the Americans with Disabilities Act and these quote unquote tester plaintiffs who, who file lawsuits, but the, the, the plaintiff in that case, the Supreme Court will be hearing said on the record, I have never been to this business. I do not intend to ever visit this business, but they sued for 88 violations. And so if the court um, shuts down them on on standing, saying that these lawsuits can't move forward, that could be, you know, a good first step, right, in trying to knock this out. 
Thanks again to Karen Harnett for joining us. That's our show for this week. We encourage our listeners to subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. Those ratings really help us find new listeners, especially if they come with a positive review. But we hope to see you next time. Thank you.